disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. I'm your hostess with the most, as you can call me, Rocky. I'm joined by a very special guest today. You know him as the host of the Mitch Mitchell Variety Hour. Uh, Mitch, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming. I'm, I'm very excited to have you. And uh, oh, you know what that sound means? That sound I'm adding in in post. Do you know what it means? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. It means that is our uh, Pulp Friction news horn. Uh, it means that we have a breaking news bulletin here on the show before we before we get started. Um, we are on Vanilla Ice Watch. Yeah, you know, uh, it feels very exciting that we're instantly thrown into some news. Yeah, it's you know I like to <laughs> I like to start things. We like to like to get things rolling here, and um, so the news is that uh, Vanilla Ice, the rapper who sort of Mr. Magood into a uh, legacy that will outlive us all, <laughs> is back with a new single. <laughs> um, it was released exclusively to YouTube, as far as I can tell, uh, late last week. It's called All the Way In. It features Kodak Black and Forgiato Blow. Um, the, the the Kodak Black feature <laughs> was interesting to me for a number of reasons. I guess, you know, we, we could get into the video, too. Uh, Forgiato Blow, I didn't know who he was. I looked him up. He's like a, he, he's, he's like a guy who's known for being like the, the Trump supporter rapper. And, you know, he, he, he is just kind of, he, you know, he, he does all these, all these songs. He's got a song called 1776 and a song called four more years. And, you know, he, he, he capitalizes off of that and he and Vanilla Ice have collaborated a few times as it turns out. Um, yeah. I was surprised to see him put him on, put him on this song because when Vanilla Ice performed maskless at the Mar-a-Lago New Year's Eve party this year, he insisted that it was quote, not about politics. Oh God. <laughs> I completely forgot that he performed at the Mar-a-Lago party. Yeah, <laughs> I did too. I did too. But uh, now he's back with a new single. It features Kodak Black. The video is very interesting. Um, the, you know, the, the, there's like a title card that, you know, and, and it, it says Vanilla Ice, Kodak Black, Forgiato Blow, All The Way, which is not the name of the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's all the way in. It's all the way in. And, um, you know, the video starts with like Kodak and his friends. They're in front of a car. They're on like, I guess it's supposed to be Ice's Lawn or, you know, whatever place they read it out for this video. And um, there are balloons behind him that say KTB, which is Cutthroat Bill. That's one of Kodak's nicknames. And there's a lawn sign in front of him that says King of Kings. I don't know if that's about God uh, <laughs> or what. Or about I, Vanilla Ice. It could be about Vanilla Ice. It's not something that, that Kodak is called typically. Um, uh, Kodak is Jewish. I believe he, he he converted while he was in prison. So I, it's possible that it's a that that, that it's a, a Hashem reference. The you know the King of Kings. But uh, either way, it's it's an odd though. Just having like a little long side out in front of the car saying that I don't know. Um, so something that struck me about this video also 
Um, I'm, I'm just, you know, we're, I, I'm just discussing it at this point, but there's a shot, there's a helicopter, right? Yeah. There's a helicopter in the video. Uh, there is one shot during Vanilla Ice's verse where they are in the helicopter. It's like a split second. And that's the only moment in the entire video where they get in the helicopter. They- <laughs> There's there's a moment later where this weird bearded guy who we've never seen before like walks out of the helicopter and it lingers on him for a few seconds but like they they're they're just like 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 they're just like rapping in front of the helicopter for for a whole lot of it. <laughs> what was the point of the helicopter at that point, you know? I don't know. They <laughs> maybe they didn't they I mean someone must have dropped it off. I was going to say maybe they didn't have a pilot with them, but I, you know, <laughs> There had to be a pilot around at some point. There's also that, right. the, like, you know, that, uh, that I don't know if it's like a garage or like a room in his house or a storage unit they rented or something, but most of Vanilla Ice's verse is in this weird, like, they, they, there's like paneling on the walls, which makes it feel like a garage, but there's, you know, it, it, there's like a car and a basketball hoop and like disco lights and there's a balcony up in the corner that's got two lawn chairs and the rest of it is just like covered in trophies for, for <laughs> trophies for something I, I i don't know there was a lot uh a, a lot to be confused by in this yeah. video i uh the the song itself the the hook is by kodak black it's interesting because you know, Vanilla Ice is a rapper who is probably known for hooks above all else. Like, like if anyone remembers anything from from any Vanilla Ice song, it's a hook. Uh, right. And, and yet Kodak Black is on this track just doing a, a chorus, a, uh, you know, I'm going all the way in. I want to party all night. I'm getting naughty, baby. I'm having the time of my life. And uh, just repeating that four times a piece. So 12 times overall in the song. Um, I don't know why, I don't know why Kodak doesn't do a verse. I don't know why Ice wouldn't do a chorus. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're wondering about, if, if the people at home are wondering about how Vanilla Ice is doing as a rapper, uh, <laughs> about the same, I would say, I guess. <laughs> you know, at least he's consistent. Yeah, he's consistent and he's kind of figured out how to like, how to like cheat it in terms of not being able to to do like meter or whatever he like cheats it by singing which is what uh you know a, a lot of a, a lot of rappers do these days and it's not something that he did back in the day but there's um let's see what lines do i want to talk about here um there's line where he says well i'm a man i can see it real clear on the pier got a case of cold beer and it, the, like it's just that i can see it real clear line that he never really addresses what exactly he can see real clear um unless he can see real clear that he's a man i think he's referencing um the meme that's like i put my symptoms into webmd turns out i just need to be on the lake with a cold beer that's probably it that's probably what <laughs> what he can see real clear he he checked uh real clear politics and it said he needs a, a case of cold beer <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. Also in this verse, we have uh, party all night, never in the new year. No champagne, no caviar here. Moonshine never stopped flowing around here. And then this line that I have to have to call out here. My girl kissing my ear. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a there's an mm ad lib after he says my girl kissing my ear. Uh, <laughs> how, can, how can you argue with that? I got to no. I got to give him props for that one. Yeah, it's um, 
you know, kissing his ear. He loves it. Um, and then later he says, Lil Mama got a body for days. Love it when she tilt that thing sideways. I, <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> like of all the ways to describe, you know, how a body moves and, you know, to, to, to be sexy with it. I've heard them all. I don't know exactly what tilting that thing sideways means. <laughs> yeah, what, I can't I don't want to picture that. Because, <laughs> OK, like like like. To, you know, to, to be sideways, whatever, but to tilt it sideways. Yeah. <laughs> and is, I, I, <laughs> it's I, giving me tilt a whirl, you know? Yeah. It's, Which you isn't know, sexy. Sort of, like, that's not sexual. It's just sort of wobbling. Yeah. Um, yeah, wobbling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Le- and then the, the, the ending of the verse, I'll just wrap it up here. He says, legs in the air, mind in a haze, body to body. Yeah, we can role play. Naked ninja, ace of spades. Let's get naughty like 50 shades. Hmm. <laughs> That's really bad. That's it's... Those are really not good lyrics. <laughs> yeah, it's it, the naked ninja. I don't... <laughs> I don't know uh, <laughs> quite what. I mean, I guess that's the role play that he's doing. Is like, <laughs> I'm a naked ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh man, I never change, never changes at the very least. And then he also, uh, there's an outro that he does like, like as the song is fading out, the video is fading out. There's a logo logo for uh, Real Shooters Video Production, which I found uh, was a local Florida company that mostly does commercials and wedding videos, but also occasionally does rap videos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he does this little outro here, like as the music is fading, where he says, yeah, going all the way in. We ain't here for a long time. Make it a good time. Stay on the grind and you'll shine. Holla. That's kind of inspirational. That's kind of a nice thing to uh, to wrap it up with. Just, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I like it when it's like, uh, yeah, at the end of that Fatty Wap song, I don't remember which one where the uh, where the like head of his label is like money on the wood, make the game go good. And it's like, <laughs> that, you know, just, just having him, you know, just throw 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 a little a little uh, a little riddle out there at the end. I, yeah, I a little that. riddle. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, do you want to mess with Limp Biscuit? I do. <laughs> I really do. I, I am here to talk about Limp Biscuit. Let's I, in terms of where we start, um, it, it's we are talking about Limp Biscuit on this episode, and I think it's a good time to talk about it because they are in the news for uh, one or two reasons. Um, do we want to start by talking about Fred's new look? Yeah. OK, so. Here's the thing. I saw that Limp Biscuit was trending on Twitter yesterday and I immediately became nervous. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that it was just because of Lollapalooza, which and then I, I was overcome with a wave of relief. And then I was overcome with another wave of nerves because mm-hmm. as someone who lives in Chicago, Lollapalooza is making me very nervous right now. Um yeah. It's kind of a nightmare that descends upon our city every year. And this year, it, it is just so much worse than it ever could be, you know, shouldn't be happening. But I clicked it anyway. I wanted to see what was trending about Limp Biscuit, And I saw that people were talking about Fred's new look, which perplexed me because I saw Limp Biscuit in concert like two weeks ago and he did not look like that. 
that's interesting. What, what has he been through in the past two weeks? That's so interesting. You saw Limp Bizkit, uh two weeks ago. Do you, do, like, how, how was that experience? Yeah, well, I'm really ready to talk about that. So Limp Bizkit was performing a free concert, at a free outdoor concert in Hammond, Indiana, which is a northwest town in Indiana. So it's kind of like a suburb of Chicago, but it's also kind of out there. Um, Northwest Indiana, uh, is a really strange region in our country. Um, I have spent a bit of time there because I used to date someone that lived out there and it is really just like, I, I, anytime I've been on a dating app out there, it's been all furries and I'm like, it's like all cops and furries. That's what mm-hmm. Northwest Indiana is to me. And like, so, you know, you're getting a lot of different vibes all at once. And um, some of those vibes are really rancid, rancid mm-hmm. Indiana cop vibes. Um, and so I've actually seen Limp Biscuit twice at this same concert. In 2017, they played the exact same show, this outdoor concert in Hammond, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they keep getting invited back <laughs> to do this one concert. But let me tell you, they put on a great show. Mm. Um, West Borland is looking really sexy these days. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. He was wearing very short shorts, like like little four-inch inseam shorts love to see it um yeah and uh fred durst when i saw him he was you know kind of just looking like a sexy new metal santa he uh-huh. had like a white beard and he had his um it, it was just like a normal beard and uh, i would say normal hair um <laughs> he was wearing his little red hat and uh, a nice button down shirt and some red slacks he looked really like he could have been on his way to a meeting at interscope records um but he you know I, I don't know he looked kind of normal and like halfway through the show me and my friends were like okay we have to kind of admit that he looks pretty hot right now right like he looked pretty hot and Hmm. it was was, you know his his new look um don't really understand what happened in the past two weeks but he's how would you describe his new look sure so he's he's gone for this sort of this this blonde mop um i'm trying to I'm, i'm trying to think what what head of hair it reminds me of um perhaps an early robert redford uh just you know doing some interesting hair things and accompanying it with a with a cream colored button down that he uh, has appeared in multiple (laughs) times now Uh, (laughs) and like a little a little jacket some sort of little like uh like a dad going for like a hike in the nature preserves with his family type of jacket you know very shockingly normal um some like khaki pants Little tiny red glasses, too, which I think is kind of, honestly kind of cute. Yeah, I don't think he looks bad. I, I, I it's just a very jarring, um, like that, like, like to, to say that this is Fred Durst is very, is yeah, you know, it, it's it's unsettling, I guess. And what about his beard? It's like the 
don't know how to describe this beard. It's kind of the Hulk Hogan beard, handlebar mustache. Yeah, he is. He is. He is getting a little, a little Hulk with it in general. One could say, just in terms yeah. of color palette, he's uh, moving a little more in that direction. Well, it's funny because he used to do the long soul patch, like all mm. the way down into his his chin. But now he's sort of doing the opposite, where he has the two strips on either side and then nothing on the chin. I ju- I just wonder. I mean, A, like you said, what has happened very recently to Fred Durst? Yeah, like within the past two weeks, because I saw him like July 15th and he was looking, you know, how you might expect Fred Durst to look. He had the red hat and I I don't know why he didn't go with the red hat. That's That's a very signature Fred look. Makes me feel like maybe something's going on with him. Yeah, or, or he's... It could be a deliberate choice. It could be something that he's he's trying to just get in the headlines for some reason. Because I'll say this at this uh, at, at a concert on Thursday uh, it, and where he was wearing like same cream colored shirt, same, you know, he had he had this whole look on him. He uh, played a song uh, off their next album, the, the perhaps formerly titled Stampede of the Disco Elephants. Um it was it was like you know they, they they just played the recording of it it was like a fully produced it was like fred rapping over a over kind of an old school hip hop sort of beat it was uh, i mean it sounded good but um i uh, you know west borland did this interview uh in june where he said I'm just going to read the quote. We've probably in the last 10 years been in the studio to try and complete the record. I want to say seven times to different studios. And we've been working on stuff, working on stuff, working on stuff. And Fred has been consistently kind of unsatisfied with where vision is, I guess. We probably have 35 songs recorded instrumentally and he's done vocals on them and then thrown the vocals away, done vocals and then fuck this and thrown it away. So I think he's finally at the point now where he's going to pick a set of these songs that he's finally cool with and finish them. And we're going to finish the record. So fingers crossed. Oh my God, the drama, the Limp Biscuit drama. <laughs> the Limp Biscuit drama. I mean, there's so much Limp Biscuit drama uh, that we could cover here, just about Stampede of the Disco Elephants alone, where, the, where that process began. They parted ways with Interscope after Gold Cobra dropped, and then they signed to Cash Money in uh, February of 2012. That's right. Yeah, they they had this stint with Cash Money. This is at a time where Cash Money was just signing like anyone. You, you yeah. know, this is around. Yeah. They, signed, they signed Busta Rhymes. They signed Ace Hood. They signed, you know, Mystical, Paris Hilton, DJ Khaled, Cool and Dre. Like just whoever they could get their hands on. And Limp Bizkit was part of that. Um, oh, I was just going to say during that time, they did a really, really good song with Lil Wayne. I was going to say that, that uh, having listened to pretty much the entire Limp Bizkit uh, over in the past few days, I would say that Ready to Go is their best song. Really? I love yeah. that take. I think that's great. I think yeah. it's such a good song. It's really good. You've got uh, Pull of the Dawn on production, which is a, a crazy choice, but it works so well. Wayne is really good on it and he meshes with the band so well. And I overall just think that like, the impression of Limp Biscuit is that they're this, you know, they're, they're they're like the angry white boy band, but they're very like cartoony about it and over the top and yes. like in almost an Eminem way. And I feel like there are very, there are relatively few songs of theirs that really capture that. I'm ready to go is one of them. It's like Nookie yeah. break stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ready to go just fits that really well, I think. I agree. It really fits in well with like their the best of their best catalog. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the new stuff that they've done, like, you know, in the past 15 years has not 
really gone along with that. So it's mm-hmm. exciting. And they've since left Cash Money, by the way. They are, I think, independent now. Uh, or if they signed a new deal, it was since like 2017. They did two other songs in the time they were signed to Cash Money. Uh, one of them, they were both on uh, Rich Gang projects uh, before Rich Gang was Young Thug and Rich Homie Kwan and then disbanded. It was like there was a moment in time where Rich Gang was just anyone who signed to Cash Money. <laughs> so. <laughs> On one Limp Bizkit, on one uh, Rich Gang project, they did a song with Kevin Rudolph, Birdman, and Lil Wayne called "Champions." That you know, it's like any of the other Kevin Rudolph songs. It's you know, it's it's fun. It's uh, uh, what are the other Kevin Rudolph songs? Uh, "Let It Rock." It's like it, it's it's like it's like a Kevin Rudolph song. And then they yeah. also did a song called "Sunshine." with uh Florida Birdman and Caskey and I um you know how in a lot of those like early 10s dance rap pop tracks there would be like some there, there would be like a guy on the chorus or, or someone on the chorus and they would you know it would be either Sia on Wild Ones or it'd be Florida himself or it'd be like a sample and it'd just be this completely nothing auto-tuned like chorus thing that, that that's just like kind of there to have some kind of pop thing to go to in between the the like flow rider or pitbull or whoever verses yeah so on this song uh the chorus person is fred durst and it's otherwise uh a, you know a, a standard flow rider song and i i might uh put in a clip here because it's really <laughs> a, a pretty shocking thing to hear <laughs> Fred is, you know, he's he's like kind of mellow and he's there there's like auto-tune on his voice and he does he does like a little whoa whoa part at the end. It's 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 really insane. He's in rare form in that one. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, I mean, the other thing that Limp Bizkit is being talked about right now for is HBO Max just put out a documentary about Woodstock 99. That's right. I want to watch that so bad. Yeah, I just I just watched it last night. Um, and I guess that is really... That is really like the other, like the other polar end of Limp Bizkit's career, the moment where they were, you know, <laughs> the biggest band in the world or whatever. I mean, the, I, I need to pull up the statistic here on Chocolate Starfish. It uh, sold over 1 million copies in its first week, making it the fastest selling rock album of all time in the US. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite music fact now. It is. It's still, it's still, it's like top 20 overall still. And it's still number one in the rock albums. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Whoa. That's twisted. That's, that really is twisted. <laughs> it's really fucking nuts. It's interesting because in a certain sense, I feel like Chocolate Starfish gets, you know, derided and seen as like uh, a, a moment where they started to fall off. But in other ways, that is, that that is Limp Bizkit, you know. It's interesting to hear about how people talk about like the before and after of Limp Bizkit, and then listening to all their albums and being like they're kind of in a different mode on each of them. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, I really think Chocolate Starfish is 
kind of one of my f- really favorite Limp Biscuit moments. There's just so many good like hits on it, you know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I mean, Roland's on there. You gotta you gotta account for Roland. Gotta respect that. My way, my generation. Um, I also just really respect them going so out of their way to diss um, Trent Reznor when he <laughs> did not give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a crazy way to open the album, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking at the rest of this album. I, the, the the thing that I wanted to say about Roland, I mean, there's other stuff to talk about it here. I like living it up a lot. Um but that and take a look around is really good too. Um, but what what the thing about Roland? I mean, we there are a couple lyrical things to talk about with Roland. There's obviously the uh, ladies, fellas, and people who just don't give a fuck, which yeah. uh, classic. But um, there's also the line at the beginning of the second verse where he says, "You want to?" There's this con response thing. It's like, "You want to mess with Limp Biscuit? Yeah, you can't mess with Limp Biscuit. Why? Because we get it on when." every day and every night oh and, you know <laughs> i'm with them i'm following this call and response thing and i'm like if i was having this this dialogue with limp biscuit and and they got to the point of saying because we get it on i just don't think my next question would be when do you get it on <laughs> <laughs> but i do think if they said all day and every night or whatever i would say oh yeah, I would be like, oh, word, oh, yeah. That, yeah, oh, got it. Yeah, okay, I see. I see. Yeah, I should, I should have expected that, honestly. Um, <laughs> right. When, when I saw them, they this the album that they played the most songs from by far was Chocolate Starfish. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense if it's the best selling rock album of all time or whatever the hell. Yeah. But they, they, they played a lot of songs from Chocolate Starfish. They didn't play anything from Three Dollar Bill, and I was like, what the heck. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it was interesting for me to start with because I went in chronological order. So starting with $3 bill and having not like listened to a Limp Bizkit album before, I was like, I was thinking like, is this how they are? Is it going to be, is it going to be like, you know, a, a lot of the screaming and like the, you, you know, this really angsty, like, like, like uh, aggressive stuff. And they move in a more cartoony direction from there. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. But I, there were things I liked about Three Dollar Bill too. Uh, the first track, Pollution, was really good. The, so the, good, yeah. The fucking post rock sixteen minute outro is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I love their cover of Faith too. That's one of my favorite yeah. covers ever. Maybe it's a really fun one, definitely. I mean, in talking about Woodstock '99, I guess it's an interesting documentary that you know people are talking about it it very much goes through the entire three days of the festival and how things like were bubbling and bubbling and bubbling the whole time and there's an interview with one of the they interview both of the people who produce the festival and they they're they're both but especially one of them is very much still like Fred Durst started it. He riled everyone up, and then there was a riot. And like the 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 general consensus is is that it's it's a lot more complicated than that. But I feel like it's interesting to think about what Limp Bizkit's reputation was at the time. For, for you know, we we run into the same thing with the Fight Club episode, where it's like there's the fact of what it is, and then there's the you know the this angry white boy thing in the zeitgeist in 1999 that. Uh, you could to, just to see how it contributes to what uh, to what they were seen as. Totally, yeah. 
I'm excited to check that out. Yeah. Um, I'll say about chocolate starfish, the, uh, on, on, on uh $3 bill y'all, I thought the wrapping was kind of good. And that, you know, <laughs> it sort of diminished from there. I feel like, the, yeah. you know, but I, I like, like my chocolate starfish, it's like, we're not really trying to be good. Like the first verse on that album is, you know, it's fucked up world in a fucked up place. Everybody's judged by their fucked up face, etc. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fun track to start off the album, but I think it's interesting how, and I mean, they, you know, they do this thing starting on uh, Significant Other where, where each album they'll have like the one song with a rapper that's like a real hip hop track and in together now is easily one of my favorite songs of theirs i think it i I, I think it's so great uh method man kills it and then with each successive one it's like this time it's like they do get your groove on 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 the second one and then they do on results may vary they have um they have someone on results may vary right they have uh of snoop on red light green light yeah and, and that, that's not a good track. I mean, Snoop kills it, but like there, there's diminishing returns on that. Yeah, diminishing returns. Results May Vary was another album where there was a lot of turmoil behind the scenes that, uh, that I was just interested in seeing because West Borland left like, like shortly after um, – uh, chocolate starfish or i think it was like a year after but whatever they they had this na- nationwide audition called put your guitar where your mouth is and they settled on uh mike smith from snot and um they like recorded an entire album with mike smith and then they had a falling out and so they scrapped it and did another album where it was fred playing guitar and then they scrapped that too <laughs> <laughs> the version of the album that came out was like a mix of stuff from the different sessions. Um, parts of it were produced by Rick Rubin, who was going to produce Significant Other. And then like a little bit in, they were like, this isn't really working. And they just, uh, you know, did it themselves. But they got back with him. They worked with Paige Hamilton, Rivers Cuomo, Al Jorgensen, Bubba Sparks, Britney Spears. Uh, this was... This, this, <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> it's nuts. This is in the moment where Fred and Brittany were briefly uh, an item. And it's uh, speculated that a lot of the songs on Results May Vary are directed at Brittany. Um, yeah. I, feel, I, I feel like a big part of the reason that album is so like uncomfortable is because it's clearly personal to Fred. And it's like, you know, when, when Fred says break stuff, it's like he doesn't he doesn't really mean anything by that. <laughs> he's, yes. <laughs> but, you know, when, when he's like clearly talking directly to one person, it's like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he when he's going in on someone, he gets it definitely gets uncomfortable. Yeah. So when I saw them recently, they at one point he asked the audience if we were vaccinated and people booed. Mm. And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> I feel like he is always trying. I, I don't know. Like, I think that he knows that he has sort of a reputation as, um, you know, stirring shit up in the audience because of mm. what happened at Woodstock. And I feel that he he it's almost as if he thinks that he has to kind of play into that at every show. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw him the first time in 2017, he was like trying to drum up some, some drama in the audience among um, the, the Michigan people and the Indiana people. Mm. He was like, Oh yeah. So you, 
is anyone in the audience from another state tonight? And people were like, yeah, we're from Michigan. And he was like, I don't know, trying to pit the Michigan people against the Indiana people in a way that was very, um, very forced. And no one wanted it. No one wanted to fight. Um, very interesting. We're, we're just here to, to vibe. Yeah, I don't know. It was interesting reading that Wes Borland interview and other like recent stuff that he's talked about. He's talked about Fred. I don't I don't know that Fred has done any interviews in a long time. I think it's mostly secondhand stuff, but he was talking about yeah. how like how Fred Durst was like public enemy number one in, in 99, 2000, like after, after Woodstock 99, the, you know, the, the, the way that that was reported and just like, he was, he, he was the one who like everyone was, was, was pissed off at and everyone blamed all, all society's problems on. And so he talks about how that informs his perfectionism when it comes to putting out uh, disco elephants that, that he's like, you know, he, he wants to make sure that he's sending the right message with, with, with everything on that album. And I, I don't know, it's very interesting to think about like j- j- just how he was seen at that time and how that might've informed the way that their career went. Yeah. Um, I recently learned that he was, the, the Ukraine government banned Fred Durst hmm. from U- the Ukraine in 2015. Um, he wanted to buy a house there and the, the, they were like, in the interest of guaranteeing the security of our state, we do not want you to move here. Jeez. Um, like, I wonder yeah. what that feels like to be banned by an entire country. You gotta imagine. Yeah. I mean, very interesting. We want to get into a, a, a more formal thing here, maybe where we can go. Like we've sort of jumped around from album to album, but maybe we can just do like one to the next and yeah. uh, see where that takes us. Um I guess we can, I, I've prepared a little background that we can do before we get into $3 bill, y'all. But uh, it, it's mostly about like rap rock itself because, you know, Limp Bizkit came about in like 94, I think they started. And, you know, it, 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 they came at a really interesting moment because rap and rock were kind of like in conversation with each other as soon as hip hop started to like, reach a you know a, a, a broader audience um there were you know i mean there were people like talking heads and blondie who were who were like incorporating rap elements into their songs to suit like at the early end of things and that you know helped helped build the drama genre with a mainstream crowd but then you know in 1984 that was a big year because it was like run dmc bc boys ll cool j red hot chili peppers all coming out at the same time all working with rick rubin actually who uh you know, could be seen as sort of the the father of rap rock. Um, but Run DMC obviously did walk this way with uh, with Aerosmith, and that was their, their big hit, uh, the most successful hip hop song up to that time. It it you know it it was it was a really big thing. And that same year, Beastie Boys did License to Ill, which was the first rap album to hit number one. And you know, this this rap rock thing was all, already appealing to a very broad audience. Uh, around that same time, there, you know, we started to see bands that were infusing the two, like fundamentally start to build up. Living Color, Twenty Four Seven Spies, Faith No More, Sugar Ray, who, uh, you know, obviously had their heads in the '90s, but in, when they came about in 1986, they were were very much on the early end of new metal, which I just thought was an interesting little tidbit. Anthrax releases "I'm the Man," Public Enemy releases "Yo Bum Rush the Show." Things, things, things build and build uh in the 90s these these like rap rock acts start to 
enjoy a lot of a lot of focus and success. Faith No More goes platinum in 89. Ice-T starts body count in 91. Rage Against the Machine begins in 92. They blow up, obviously. Uh, yeah, and uh, in 1993, there's the Judgment Night soundtrack where each song pairs a different rock band with a different rap act. There's a Helmet and House of Pain song, a Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill song. It's just, you know, every track is like that. And then... 1993 is also when uh, corn forms <laughs> and that, uh, that yes. seen as the, uh, the starting point of things. Do you have any thoughts on corn? Love corn. They're Kings. Mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't listened to much corn. That could be a, a topic for another episode, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, um, Deftones also comes out around 94. They, they, they had been like making music for like five years prior to corn, but they released their first album in 94. So they're like, they, it, it's Deftones and corn that are, <laughs> that are coming out, you know? Yeah. And uh, let's see the corn story. They uh, formed uh, out of members of the funk metal band LAPD after teaming up with Jonathan Davis. Uh, they recorded their first demo called Neater Meyer's Mind with the producer Ross Robinson, uh, who's been called the godfather of new metal. And uh, he would also go on to work on Corn's debut uh, albums for Deftones, Funk Junkies, Slipknot, and Limp Biscuit. He produced. Um, Significant other, I believe he, 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 you know, he did like a bunch of their stuff. And then um, Korn released that self-titled album in 94, Strong Reviews, uh, real sleeper hit. It like builds and builds. And in 96, it goes double platinum. Uh, that, that same year, Limp Biscuit starts in North Carolina. Um, I don't have anything else, actually. I, I did not. I feel like at some point I was going to go into like, early Limp Bizkit, how they got to where they are. I have notes on like how the album came about because like they, you know, paid uh, or they, they signed to Interscope after they were discovered by Korn basically. And um, they paid one radio station in Portland, $5,000 to play uh, counterfeit 50 times. And that, that, that was just like the start of things. And Fred Durst later <laughs> said like, Fred Durst later said, quote, it worked, but it's not that cool of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. I mean, yeah. what else can you say? That's that's all there is to say. So $3 bill, y'all. Uh, what do we think? I love $3 bill, y'all. I think it's a really good album. Um, yeah, I uh, a terrible album art. Just mm. Really <laughs> ugly album art. But yeah, um, so good. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's pretty, I don't know, they're, they're, it's one of those things that I think is true of a lot of the Limp Bizkit albums where the cover art is like evocative and it, it, it sticks with you even though it's not yeah. like good per se. Um, but yeah, I thought this album was really interesting. Uh, like I said, uh, more, more like screaming vocals and, you know, a little more uh aggressive for for lack of a better word than some of their other stuff but i like a couple of the tracks on there i thought it was an interesting start it was not like uh it was not like they're great right off the bat thing for me but it was like you know there's definitely a lot of talent here and that's something that i really picked up on as i was going through all of them is like Wes is really talented. Uh, John Otto is really talented. There's like, there's like really great production stuff happening. DJ Lethal is great, obviously. And even Fred, you know, he, he, he got called like the most annoying voice in, in rock or whatever, but it's like, I, I, I like Fred's voice, <laughs> you know? Me too. Yeah. It's, it's very unique. And um, I think, uh, you know, genre defining and, 
important. It's an important rap rock voice. Definitely. And and you can see the progression maybe from from Rage to what he's doing, maybe even from Cypress Hill to what he's doing. But um, I, I don't know. I think you can't mistake anyone else for Fred, you know? Yeah, exactly. He, he, he's just, he's got something so unique and so memorable in, in how he does it. Um, let's see. Uh, they said that Tool was an inspiration for this album, especially uh, Nobody Loves Me. And I don't know about that. The, the Faith cover kicks ass. I did have that note. Uh, I noticed that like every song on this album has an outro that's like a minute long. <laughs> yeah, they loved doing outros on this album. <laughs> it's true. It's true. They would still do it occasionally on some of the later ones, but it's really on this song. It's like every song is, you know, every song is like five minutes long and you you get through it. It's like they do the whole thing and then they're just like, there's just like some other beat that plays near the end. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting thing. And it's something that you'll hear a lot in, in like 90s stuff. You'll hear it on like what the Beastie Boys are doing at this time. Uh, the the album version of Steal My Sunshine has has that uh, long outro thing. I, I guess this was the style of things at the time to, you know, have the song end and then just have like a hip hop beat playing for a little bit. It's the same thing as like, this was something that was brought up in the Woodstock 99 documentary where like every act just had a DJ in the back and like they didn't really do anything. <laughs> they would yeah. like scratch a couple times and that'd be enough to justify another member of the band. <laughs> and I, I, I just feel like this is the same thing where it's like hip hop is cool. Um, you know, post grunge hip hop is the thing that, that is, that is still like doing well. And, you know, um, we we should incorporate those elements. I do feel like the, the, the Limp Bizkit has at least claimed that they are like the, the, they're the 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 rapper the the new metal act that really embraced rap and rock in in equal measure. Um, I mean, they definitely I think leaned into you know having rappers on every album, having uh, the new old songs album where they did remixes of a bunch of songs. Um, they 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 definitely leaned into it in a way that uh, some bands kind of try to hide from it. Yeah, definitely. After this album came out, first of all, Fred Durst was appointed senior vice president of A&R at Interscope. <laughs> yeah, that is that is really crazy to me, but also tells me that like he has to be a very smart guy. You know, I, I have to imagine, yeah. I mean, they, you know, the... The the rollout for this album, for one reason or another, it really impressed them. Like 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 the fact that they would put him in in that kind of like cabinet role right away is is so yeah. crazy. Because this is even before they were like like they had a big audience, but they weren't they you know they had didn't have hits yet. This was really like right. they must have you know impressed the right people with this album. And I guess I don't know how long Fred had that position. I guess they left Interscope and like. 2011 so maybe he just had it that whole time but uh yeah i don't know um yeah i did note that um that i thought fred was a better rapper than the average rap rock guy on subsequent albums i kind of i kind of moved away from that stance but yeah uh, yeah yeah he 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 honestly does kind of kind of pull it off here and it makes me think that you know it's possible that that as the albums went on he became focused on other things or he you know he just wasn't able to do it on the level he did on that album he wasn't as hungry maybe but i heard but but i also think it's entirely possible that it was a conscious decision to be like you know we're we're even though we're we're, we're doing these hip-hop elements we're not seen as a rap group and like like, like we want to we, we want to have these jokey lyrics rather than, you know, just j- 
like focusing less on writing and focusing on getting a reaction more, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so the next album is Significant Other. Uh, in the in the uh, rollout for that album, they worked with a different producer, Terry Date, who had previously worked with Soundgarden, Pantera, Deftones, and is another guy who sticks with Limp Bizkit, uh, becomes one of their like main guys for producing as things go forward um let's see there was and there was a song recorded with eminem on this album that got left off uh which is a shame honestly they had a uh there, there was a moment where where eminem and limp biscuit were were beefing obviously he calls them out on without me but you know they, they they they're they're emblematic of of the same phenomenon definitely something that i thought was interesting is Eminem and Limp Bizkit both released greatest hits album and albums in 2005 and then like went on hiatus and then came back in 2009. They both, they both like did that in the exact same timeline. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are our thoughts on uh, significant other? Significant other is great. Let me look at what was that? I mean, obviously break stuff. Break stuff probably, is great. Probably their best song. Maybe um, it's my favorite song. I think um mm. nookie obviously is also great um yeah significant other i do feel like is when they the vocals kind of start falling off a little bit just the rapping but mm-hmm. um i don't know you can tell that they're still like having fun but they're seeming to get a little more serious i think um mm. with this one but they're definitely still having fun and yeah that's what we're here that's why people listen to limp biscuit i think yeah, I felt like as soon as, as soon as it hit just like this, or uh, yeah, just like this, I uh, started to feel that like there, there was it was clearly more polished. It felt like they were going in a direction of pop, basically. Do, you, you know, ha- having uh, they, 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 they were having hooks. They were having you know radio stuff right off the bat, and I, th- I think that that was a a strong choice for them, and probably something that works for Limp Bizkit because, like I said, they're very they're they're serious some of the time on three dollar bill y'all and sometimes it works but i feel like the more serious they get after this point the more they uh slip so i feel like i feel like someone someone made the choice like we're gonna be kind of kind of comic with it in the same way that like icp is 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 is, you know we'll joke around with their stuff we're gonna be sort of sort of ironic and uh I, i think it works for the most part yeah yeah let's see uh nookie yeah uh, a lot of production there. Something I thought was interesting about Nookie is that like the reputation that it has comes from obviously the line, I did it all for the Nookie. And I feel like it developed this, th- this impression that it was about like, like dating a girl, doing things for a girl, you know, for sex. And it's clear, mm-hmm. clear how that line sort of indicates that. But if you look at the rest of the song, it's really about like, the, this the, the, this this girl who the, the, it's, a, it's sort of a pathetic picture of Fred and how this girl is like humiliating him and cheating on him and you know the, the, like really breaking his heart and then he's sort of rationalizing it by being like yeah well I was only interested in sex anyway it, it, it feels yes like, definitely yeah it feels more aware than I think uh, the its reputation would say yeah no I completely agree with that. And I think that that sort of describes Fred Durst's vibe in general. I think mm. he's more aware of of what he's doing than he comes across. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't love, I, I you know, the I, I felt like the, the hook on Nookie could have been stronger. It's definitely one of my favorite uh, songs of theirs, but I, I do think that like Break Stuff and In Together Now uh, off this album, they, like, like they, I, I'd put them higher up just because the hook on Nookie is like, it's kind of repetitive to me, I guess, but it, yeah, it's, it's a good song. Um, yeah, and a lot of songs on this album have have long outros too. That's that's something that carries over, not on every track, but it's still like all these songs are around five minutes. And yeah, most of them still have that last minute sort of freed up. Um, let's see, what else is there? I like rearranged a lot and together now. Uh, obviously, kicks ass as I've said. Uh, I, I think I think Method Man really like crushes his part of it, and he shows up again on the Urban Assault Vehicle version of Roland. And I think you know he and Redman trade off, and I think that's that that was really strong too. But you know yeah. It, it, yeah, and together now is a favorite of mine, maybe my favorite. Um, in terms of where this stands relative to three dollar bill, y'all, it's interesting because there are a lot of ways in which the the quality is downgraded in terms of like like emotionally or lyrically or whatever. But I, I do think overall, I like this album more. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you could take off. Uh, the, there's a three song stretch here where it's like uh, nobody like you. Don't go off wandering. 1999. I think if you took those three completely off, it would be like a a, a really strong album. Yeah, I agree with that. The, I, it, it, the album kind of stretches on a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of a recurring thing, I feel like. You know, $3 Bill Y'all is pretty tight, but most of their yeah. albums, I think, are a little longer than they should be. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing, they definitely did more songs than they needed to do in their career. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I listened to them all, so yeah. <laughs> I, I, I fell for it. Um, in terms of uh, getting back to Chocolate Starfish, which there's, you know, it's such a rich tapestry that this album paints. Get, I mean, first, just getting back to the cover art conversation. God. Oh, God. Really yeah. Could, really not bad be, one. could not be worse. This one. <laughs> <laughs> like really couldn't be worse. Really couldn't. It, they, I mean, you, you gotta you gotta hand it to him. <laughs> yeah who did the cover art let's find out oh that is an interesting question oh my god you are never gonna believe who did the cover art who did it Wes Borland <laughs> that's an amazing fact about Limp Biscuit. I cannot believe this that is so fucking cool Wes my dude Okay, now oh, I think it's man. kind of good cover art. I think I've gone back on it now. I think <laughs> You've come good. full circle. It's, yeah. it's in the family. It's like it's yeah. like Fast and Furious. It's all about the family. Absolutely. So in the in the in the run up for this album, this is the album that they initially tapped uh, Rick Rubin, and then they Rick Rubin says that like they were in the studio for a couple days, and then he just got a thing that was like, yeah, I think we're just going to do this ourselves, and he doesn't know what happened, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> again, it's about the family. You gotta, you gotta keep it in the family. I, you Definitely. Know, respect that. They performed uh, with Christina Aguilera at the 2000 VMAs, or Fred did. He got up there during uh, Christina's set and performed Living It Up, which was you know, the first single off this album, and um, a lot of people in rock music were very quick to be like, you're an embarrassment as, as as soon as that happened and um yeah. 
on the one hand, <laughs> like I, I, you know, I, I think that is, is really, I don't agree with that per se. I, I like, like what, what's wrong with Christina Aguilera, you know? <laughs> yeah, seriously. What a, what an odd, fascinating time in pop culture that was, you know, like it was just, just yeah. rife with homophobia and sexism that you would never get away with now, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's another thing that does really come out in the in the Woodstock '99 thing, which I should note that that happened between Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish. Um, yeah, th- there's also the fact that like later Fred Durst joked that he, in terms of the Christina Aguilera performance, that he did it for the Nookie, and that and oh. then you know yeah <laughs> so not he, anything but he that kinda, he kind of did not stick the landing on that either no. he could have he, he could have had such a high ground by just like defending christina and being like what's wrong with <laughs> christina Aguilera? yeah but he, really, he, he dug his heels in there unfortunately um uh, worst answer you could give honestly and that same night they uh limp biscuit won a vma and Tim Comerford for Rage Against the Machine started climbing the set during their acceptance speech <laughs> in protest. He just like got <laughs> up on stage and started, there's there like this weird wire thing that was just part of the design. He was just like climbing up it. So this was very much a time where like attitudes, especially in rock, but also in in pop, obviously, like in the, in, you know, in, in pop culture, just in general, were very anti-Limp Biscuit, And yet, yes. once again, this album sold a million copies in a week. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, and it's a good album, so I get it. It is good is the thing. I feel like part of I, this album's legacy has has had so much to do with the title and cover art i feel like at this point like you know they the thing is that hybrid theory came out like a week at literally a week after this album did so i feel like its legacy as a rock album as a as a new metal album even was stifled by that but yeah yeah <laughs> i mean if not for that it would have like like you know the, the people would have had to reckon with limp biscuit i think when this album was as successful as it was. I mean, Roland was their their highest charting song on the Hot 100. It hit number 65, which is the highest they ever got. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. The thing is, the, the, like, as I was doing, I was doing like a best and worst hit songs of the 2000s thing. And I was there, so many rock songs, especially in the early 2000s, were like not being accounted for on billboard part of it might have been this was you know very much in the middle of the of the napster thing where people were downloading music online it was just becoming a thing and i also think that obviously radio stations were probably not keen on playing limp biscuit either but it's also a fact that like you know fat lip didn't chart i don't think like there there are a lot of of big rock songs from around this time that just that just did not get on the hot 100 yeah totally i mean Rock hasn't been in the Hot 100. It hasn't been a very um, popular force in the Hot 100 in like a really, really long time. You know? Yeah, I mean, there. I, I think there was a post um, post boy band era where you know the the, the like the 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 mid two thousands pop punk wave. I think was the last That's time that true. there was a That's there was true. A, yeah there, there was a big rock presence then, and even then, a lot of the a lot of the again the quote unquote rock community was against it. <laughs> yeah, for for you know 
sexist reasons again, but um, and I think that yeah, pop punk was more family friendly. Was viewed as more family friendly than new metal, probably mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. which I understand looking at you know uh, the just the even just the limp biscuit attitude and everything. Like I get it. Yeah, I felt that on this release, just getting into it with Chocolate Starfish, I felt like they were further emphasizing the 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 like silliness and the you know the the over the top element of their personas. I felt like Durst's vocals, especially on this album, were becoming like a, a caricature of itself yeah. in a lot of ways. I th- I th- it's funny because like. I think that this is really where they sort of hit their stride in balancing the like silliness and also the seriousness in mm. some ways, you know, because the production of the songs is more serious. Um, there's none of the like goofy outros where they're yelling at each other um, right. or at least not as many, you know, it's not overwhelming the album. And then, but you know, the content obviously is very silly on this one. So yeah, I like I was I, on Apple Music. I accidentally put on the uh, censored version of this album at first, and the censored version of Hot Dog is really is really something to behold. <laughs> that sounds like a treat. I need to listen to that. Definitely, I might put a little clip of that in here too. I'm I'm giving myself a lot of editing work this episode, but it's fine. And yeah, obviously, with the hot dog, you know, takes the hook directly from Nine Inch Nails. I made a note there that's just like, this is not a real band anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. there's very. There's like so much of what goes into this album from the title to the cover art to the way that there are some serious songs on this album, but just the the energy is is very much like we're the New York Times cartoon version of what Limp Biscuit is. Yeah. <laughs> The, the 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 10 minute outro that it's a conversation with Ben Stiller and then it's like a loop of Ben Stiller laughing for five minutes and then it's you know the voicemails from Stephen Jenkins Rob Deerdeck and finally Mark Wahlberg <laughs> it's just like, like like everything is is done is heightened to the to the fullest extent yeah I I really like how the two versions of Roland are called Air Raid Vehicle and Urban Assault Vehicle. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's really fun. (laughs) It's really cool. And I I like the I like the the Swiss Beats version of of Roland, the Urban Assault Vehicle version. I think what he does with the beat is really cool. I think the verses are great. Uh, DMX. I would have loved to see more collaboration between DMX and Limp Bizkit just because like me too his energy and his his ad libs just his style fits so well with with what limp biscuit does you know they 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 really clicked on that on that song i think yeah i agree fred dedicates living it up to ben stiller his favorite motherfucker because ben stiller was in the video for i don't remember which of these one of them yeah i guess i guess they you know they they were tight at the time uh let's see on living it up he also kind of jabs uh christina aguilera again um this was this was 
it was after, but <laughs> yeah, but um, oh no, that's from the song. So that's, I guess that was the, the idea behind we'll perform it with Christina Aguilera and it'll be like a, a fun thing. He also says that he's seen the fight club 28 times. <laughs> 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 it's great. Uh, pop, pop his ass like a zit with the starfish navigation system. <laughs> that's sick. Really? That's just good. A lot of cool stuff. I love living it up. It's like one of my favorite songs on this record. Definitely. Um, it, it's so dumb. <laughs> it's so yeah. stupid. The way that the bridge on maybe living it up, he, whichever one that where he starts by saying the world is like a cage. I got, obviously I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is, is, is like very clearly inspired by Cypress Hill. Right. And, and so is Limp Bizkit. So there's, there's a, you know, there, there's a convergence there, but the way that Fred starts to say the world is like a cage, this world is like a cage. I just got a little bit of Lin-Manuel Miranda vibes from that. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> Just a little bit, because because like you think about the way that Lin Manuel Miranda raps, it's it's very Limp Bizkit in a way. Again, because they they're both deriving so much from Cypress Hill that that it just you know it's a funny thing. I might try to do a mashup of that because it's it's very funny. Yeah, get your groove on. Didn't think was as good as in Together Now, but uh, you know, Exhibit delivers and. Uh, that's no, fine. Uh, take a look around. I was interested to find that that was the Limp Bizkit song that got a, a Grammy nomination. Yeah, I. it's really not that good. I, I like know. it, but it, it, it's, I don't know. It's like, it wasn't, I guess it, I guess it was the lead single. I don't know that, but, but I, I, you know, it's not like seen as like a high-end Limp Bizkit song at this point, I feel like. It was, you know, it was also on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, and I guess it samples the, the Mission Impossible theme, so that's... Mm-hmm. But, but I don't know. I, I liked it, but it's I think that was the moment because that is kind of a more like, quote unquote, respectable Limp Bizkit song. It's more like the kind yeah. of thing that, you know, a Grammy voter might be able to get behind. And I think that like the outcome from that may have been what pushed them in a more serious direction with uh, results may vary. Um, it's, it, it is, it is, I think of their serious songs and on a, on a personal level anyway, I think, I think that is one of their, one of their better songs in that, in that range. But uh, it, it's weird that that is the, is the Grammy for Limp Bizkit and they lost it to Rage Against the Machine. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's not much you can say to that. Um, let's see. There were there were a couple songs on the back end of this album. It's like it'll be okay. And uh, Boiler, I thought was really good actually. But they, you know, they do get kind of serious on the back end of Chocolate Starfish uh, in a way that I did not expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I, what I like about Boiler is that being about. And, you know, an abusive girlfriend and uh, a little more explicitly, it kind of feels like the dark counterpart to Ducky. <laughs> like, like, like yeah, this that's is so the, interesting. This is the other side of that story. I thought that was really interesting. I feel like putting those songs together um, does a lot. Definitely, yeah. But yeah, I liked a lot of the songs on this album. I think I think it's, you know, in term, in, in the in Limp Bizkit terms, I think it's pretty good overall um love the remix like i said the the ben stiller the the 10 minute outro it's it's another one of those things that's like it's clearly designed to 
turn off the audience to make people not want to <laughs> like, yes. like to push people yes. away. And that's something that they were doing from the beginning, but it's really like they perfected that formula on Chocolate Starfish. Right. And they were really good at that. Yeah. It's true. It's true. And that was just how it was done at the time. Now, that was a big part of the new metal thing. It was obviously something that Eminem uh, also did a lot of and ICP and, you know, all, all these all these acts that were kind of that, that kind of sometimes hated each other and were, were running in the same circles they you know they all did the same stuff yeah and after that they did uh the remix album new old songs where they did um you know they had different producers come in and do remixes of a lot of their songs uh i liked the neptunes remix of nookie a lot i like the other neptunes remix on there too i think for the most part there's not there's nothing terribly necessary about this album. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, they talk about how they, you know, the rock people didn't like them and the pop people didn't like them. So they sort of moved more, even more towards hip hop to, yeah. you, you know, for, for this record. And uh, an interesting thing, despite not having any singles, this album went gold in like three months. So this another really sign, wild. Yeah, another sign that like, despite getting like two Grammy nominations and and you know not getting on the Billboard charts at all, like like Limp Bizkit was insanely successful at the yeah. turn of the two thousands. Um, but yeah, after New Old Songs, Les Borland left. I already talked about all the drama around results may vary. We've been talking about how bad these album covers are. I feel like results may vary, maybe the worst. Yeah, that's a really bad one, but it's at least simple, you know? It's simple, definitely. It's not as, like, it doesn't evoke as much of an immediate disgust reaction. Exactly, yeah. But it's more of a simmering thing of just, like, the more you have to see it, the more you're like, I hate that I'm listening to this album. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, and I that's why I really have not listened. I have not spent much time with this one. There isn't really any moments that stand out to me as really great ones you know yeah i'm looking over my notes here uh let's see a fun fact to this day results may vary is the fourth lowest rated album on metacritic <laughs> yeah behind god yeah it's behind uh curse our love by young rebel set hefty fine by bloodhound gang and playing with fire by kevin Federline, which is at the at the very bottom but <laughs> Yeah, it, it is a uh, pretty thoroughly disliked album. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page here and it says recorded May to June 2003. <laughs> so like, if you think about the fact that they were working on this continuously from 2001, they, you know, scrapped at least two full albums and then made all of what ended up on this in a month. <laughs> yeah, and I think that shows. I, I really just, it's... What's going on? I think that the Behind Blue Eyes cover is one of my least favorite covers of all time, in contrast to Faith. Yeah, the Behind Blue Eyes cover is so bad. It, it like they just don't do anything with it, really. Like like they're yeah, yeah. they're trying to be kind of normal with it, and it, it just doesn't really do they, anything. They just play it straight, and it, it sucks. It's so boring. Um, it's, it's I keep really up. Playlist on my Spotify called Boogers, and it's just like all of my least favorite songs I can possibly think of. I just mm-hmm. added that to the list just now because I was like, damn, that really is a booger. I mean, but there's all this stuff where like working with Rick Rubin, collaborating with 
again, Rivers Cuomo, <laughs> Bubba Sparks, Britney Spears. Yes. Did, did like and they talked Fred Durst said that during these sessions he listened to The Cure, Patsy Cline, Mazzy Star, and classical music. Wow. <laughs> but like the album that it that, that we ended up with is so not interesting. Yes. Like, like, like none of the you know, like like none of these wild influences that they're trying to bring together here come out in what the album is. It just feels like uh, uh an attempt to do Lincoln Park, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, that is what it is. It's it's pretty it's pretty damn bad. Like I said, it's it's very earnest and personal in a way that does not suit Fred or Limp Biscuit generally. Yeah, agreed. Let's see. Almost over is a song that I just said it sucks. Uh, I noted that in the progression from their earlier albums to this one, I feel like you get a sense of how Nickelback developed out of the like, like like the creed nickelback stained era of of, of rock music how that developed yeah. out of out of the late 90s metal scene like 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 this definitely feels like a bridge between those um yeah the the song with snoop even though snoop is like giving it his all on it it's it sucks it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't bring myself to like engage with almost any of these songs there's really nothing to latch on to <laughs> Totally. Yeah, there really isn't. Let's see. Uh, I got some lines here. Uh, I remember high school. Man, I hated high school. It was like prison. Uh, I love sneaking out while my mom was asleep with my gothic girlfriend and making love in the creek. That's one that I liked. <laughs> but, uh, that's a great line. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good one. Uh, on Phenomenon, he calls himself the Incredible D and uh, says, tomorrow I'll be drinking some Pedialyte. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Wow, mood. Been there. Yeah, we, we, the incredible D, man. Yeah, let's see. Creamer, Radio is Dead is another song that I just thought was like about nothing. That's the thing is like, there's songs that are very clearly about one person. And there are also songs that are like being very serious. But when you actually like look at the lyrics, it's like you're not saying anything. And that's yes, the thing when yeah. I talk about, when I talk about how Fred was like a good rapper on the first album, I just mean like there was content in his lyrics. And then he moved in a direction of like, none of it means anything, but we're having fun with it. And then on this album, it's like, this is serious, this is personal. And yet the lyrics still largely are meaningless. Yeah, it's it's both nothing means anything and we're not having fun with it. So and that shows. Yeah, there's also um, All That Easy, I guess, is just on the uh, on the iTunes version. But that was another song. I was just like, what is going on here? Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's like on the first half, I was like, I should be making notes, but none of these songs are engaging me. And in the back half, I was like, it it became bad to the point of wanting to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. um, just the worst <laughs> i mean yeah um so in august of 2004 west borland rejoined the band uh that november rumors swirled that uh john otto was leaving the band the drummer uh with some even saying that he had become a benedictine monk uh <laughs> the, <laughs> that was a real that was really what people were saying those rumors proved to be false but they did work with two drummers on their next ep the unquestionable truth have you listened to the unquestionable truth no i haven't um i love that it is part one and there is just seemingly no part two i do think that's a good vibe but i know i have not listened to it 
I like that. Yeah. At, at some point, I there there was a point, like it's an EP, obviously. And when they're uh, making it, they're like, probably at some point, like we're going to do a second one. But pretty shortly after someone asked Wes Borland if there's going to be a part two. And he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> nah. But um, I uh like this album <laughs> quite a bit the thing is it's also serious but rather than being personal it's like political and mm-hmm. the like, like there's some really they're, they're going for a rage thing more so than a lincoln park thing on this record and it's like the first the first three songs they are are really good and then there's a few clunkers and it's like overall maybe a four out of seven but um there's some there's some like shredding on this album there's some really hardcore like instrumentals and you know obviously they, they, like they're doing a rage thing fred's going out there with the vocals doing this political stuff he, he's like he he's he's a lot more expressive with the vocals on this album than any other one i know that he's always so over the top and cartoony but on this one there's there's moments where he's like getting real close to the mic and like <laughs> and like kind of whispering and like he, he's he's having a lot of fun vocally the I mean, I mean, Wes is just going off the wall with the with the guitars. Like everything is very high end on this album, I think, for the most part. So like I, you know, I like the instrumentation. I like the ambition that it has. And uh, yeah, it's it's very different, but in a good way, I think, where sometimes sometimes yeah. when when you say different with Limp Bizkit, it's in a bad way. This is I, I really appreciated this one, actually. Yeah. No, it's really interesting that um, I am seeing that all music writer Stephen Thomas Earlwine described it as neo-prog alt metal. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, all right. Making some points there. Yeah, they went in an interesting direction with it. I feel like if this album had taken off, it's interesting to think about where Limp Bizkit would be today (laughs) just from from doing an album like this. uh, But of course, they... um, split uh shortly after this album's release they uh took a took a hiatus after their greatest hits album in uh 05 and uh like i said they reunited in 2009 on the they they launched the unicorns and rainbows tour uh and it was announced during that tour that they were working on a new album gold cobra uh to be produced entirely by fred um have you listened to gold cobra I haven't, I have listened to it, but I haven't spent much time with it. Yeah, that, yeah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) my, just, just, I mean, maybe I was just exhausted by the end of this listening process, but I was like, it's fun and they're like doing the right things in terms of, in terms of tone, but it's a little like, you know, where most of their early albums, it's a strong return to form in a way, but you know, most of their other albums are like a little more varied and they're experimenting in some ways. This album, it's like, this is the one kind of song we do and we're doing it on every single track yeah and it's it's like it's fine but like you know it didn't grab me it felt like a like a chuck e cheese album yeah (laughs) um (laughs) i have amazing news about the album cover art which is that it was in fact done by west borland again oh yeah this is a bad one too by the way it's really really bad i i haven't i haven't engaged with it but it looks very bad (laughs) yeah that's interesting though because I didn't notice how bad it was until now. <laughs> like the other ones are very were very like in your face about like you know this is yes. disgusting, but this one this one is bad in a, in a quieter way, yeah. And yeah, um, 
yeah some details there's a little guy with red eyes in the corner there's you know interesting stuff who did the three dollar bill y'all album let me find out maybe they're all wes i hope so yeah i guess wes wasn't on uh results may vary Oh, Fred Durst did the cover oh, art. Fred did that one. I can see that. I can see. I yeah. honestly like the the three dollar bill cover art is like it. You know, it's it doesn't look good, but there's something kind of like that. You know, just the homemade quality of it. I feel like you know, they, they, yeah. they, they, it has a certain charm to it. It's definitely something that you would someone would scribble in like the back of a math notebook. You know, and and it, yeah, that's what it is. So yeah, I don't have any specific song uh, thoughts on Gold Cobra because again, they're pretty much exactly the same uh, from start to finish. It's something that you know. I think this was a moment. I you know, I obviously wasn't paying attention in 2011, but I think this you know, this was a moment for Limp Bizkit fans to be like, oh, they're back. And 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 Fred has actually talked about that how the reason that the Interscope breakup happened was because Interscope wanted to sell Gold Cobra as like a pop comeback album with like selling songs to radio and stuff and he and he wanted to like this to be sort of a recentering and just being like here's something for you it's like uh, the Force Awakens it's you know here's proof that we can do the thing that we're yeah, known for definitely that pretty much covers the. Uh, discography of Limp Biscuit. Yeah, we did it. We did it. Do we have uh, any overall thoughts on the band? Um, the world has not always been kind to Limp Biscuit, mm-hmm. but Limp Biscuit in turn has not really been kind to the world in many ways. Um, yeah. But I do think that they have made some really good music, and I think that they're really great performers. And I really need to see Fred Durst's movie. I think maybe he's even made multiple movies at this. Yeah, point. I think I think he has made multiple by now. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that real quick. Yeah. Because, yeah, we gotta we gotta he, know yeah. Uh, well, in 2000, this is interesting. In 2014, Durst shot three commercials for the website eHarmony. Oh, interesting. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the, there's this movie he did last year with John Travolta called The Fanatic that I think yeah I think there were the, the 2019 rather but I think there was a moment where I was like where I became aware of it and then it, it, it like slipped my mind but now I'm looking at it and I'm like maybe I need to <laughs> maybe I need to watch this one 16 yeah. percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The fanatic rings hollow is an examination of the way fan appreciation for a toxic obsession. Um, a miserable psychodrama, cliche-filled voiceover narration, uh, a bunch of scenes where Travolta zealously overacts. Hell yeah! Delineates the border that separates the merely stale from the genuinely rancid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we like to see, baby. This is uh, Travolta was 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 gaudy too. Was that the same year? No, that was the previous year, but yeah, this is a this is a, a strong Travolta era we're in right now. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing that Charlie Banks was actually like fine. Yeah, haven't seen that one either. Or or oh, the long shots with Ice Cube. He directed that. That's crazy. I haven't seen this either, but it's just you know, it's an it's an Ice Cube kids movie with Kiki Palmer, and it's like wow, huh? Okay, okay, I- Fred Durst. 
I learned yesterday that there's a scene in his film, The Fanatic, where um, the the main character asks the his fanatic. son if he wants to listen to music and then puts on Limp Biscuit, And then they nice. have a whole conversation about Limp Biscuit and how cool they are. That's um, so good. And I guess the actor, Devin Sawa, um, tweeted that Fred didn't want that in the film. And then they inserted it back after while they were editing it um that is wild yeah i i guess my limp biscuit opinion um they're very talented and i don't know if they've like i don't i don't know if they could at this point in their career have a comeback where they really, they really, I mean, ready to go again, I think is their best song, but I, you know, they like, like it's possible that they could reach even higher than they have before. Cause I, I think they have a couple songs that are really stellar and several of their albums are pretty good overall, but I think they haven't necessarily realized their potential as a band. And when it comes to the, you know, the, 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 their sort of association with the, with the angry white boy culture of the late nineties. Um, I mean, I de- like, like, I definitely think they were catering to that audience and that's, you know, what they made. And if you watch the Woodstock doc- documentary, there's, you know, again, the organizers are, are like really blaming Fred for everything. And he's very much, you know, he's doing break stuff as they're, you know, throwing shit on stage. And he's, you know, like, like a guy comes up and tells him to cool it down. And he's like, Hey, we don't, we don't want anyone to get hurt, but we do want you to, you know, go yeah. crazy. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, know? don't, don't slow down. You got to keep being crazy, but also don't hurt people. Yeah. The, the 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 way that 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 the organizers and that some of the other people after that talked about it was just like either Fred's a moron and he incited a riot, which the riot happened the next day. And if you watch the documentary, it's very clear that like the that like everything that went into this festival was designed in such a way to create a riot. Yeah, know? yeah. The fact of having the lineup on Saturday be it was Limp Biscuit and Metallica closed out. And I don't remember who the third one was, but it was like just a really aggressive lineup. I think Rage was there in the middle. I think it was Limp Biscuit, Rage, and Metallica. And, you know, and and I think before that, I think a lot of more set might have been the one who was on before that. Oh, wow. <laughs> just, just everything that they did was so engineered in such a way. And part of it was just where the culture was in the 90s and the fact that maybe people weren't reckoning with it yet, but maybe like they were just catering to that catering to because you know there were you know a million college age white boys at this at this festival and like it's clear that they were marketing to that crowd specifically and then having one woman perform each each day yeah (laughs) (laughs) literally and it was a lot of more set cheryl crow and jewel like like there was just no no accounting for like what the vibes were (laughs) yeah (laughs) no they did not assess the vibes at all Absolutely not. But even even the the people who are defending uh, Fred are kind of like Fred does his thing. And if you if you book Limp Bizkit, you're booking this kind of show. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes, and, absolutely. And I, defi- 
I, I definitely think that's what it is. I, I could, you know, one could argue that the way that Fred leans into riling up his audience, as you've talked about, is not always helpful. <laughs> in yeah, a way, you exactly. Know, like, there's something you expect from a Limp Bizkit show that there's going to be, you know, a lot of aggression out there. And maybe that's what he's tapping into. But they, right. you know, I, I think that the the attitude presented in Limp Bizkit's music is... Uh, more self-aware than people often give him credit for. I mean, a lot of the intention, and they talk about this all the time, that a lot of the intention is to put off the kind of listeners who would be put off by it and attract people who yeah. who, who, who like that provocative kind of energy. And I think they do, they do, I mean, they do a good job of provoking people, definitely. And they like, like, like when they bring that energy in the right balance of like being clowns in a way being a bit like, like kind of an icp energy but just i i mean yeah an icp energy when they when, when they when they when they strike that icp energy right when they you know are, are are in your face and and saying crazy shit but they're you know having a good time and making you, you know making good tunes they they they, they hit a good a, a good note when they do that yeah i totally agree so this has been uh pulp friction <laughs> we <laughs> Had, had a lovely Limp Biscuit talk. Is there anything you would like to plug before we sign off? Um, yeah, check out the Mitch Mitchell Variety Hour on YouTube. Uh, should be coming out with um, a new episode at some point. Literally, who knows when, but I would like to come out with it soon. Um, and yeah, find me on Twitter at ZarMitch. Yeah, and uh, thank you so much for coming out. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, and thank you to the people at home for listening. We'll see you next week. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.